What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. (laughs) What a day. Social distancing is the hot new phrase. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Trump just held a, you know, sort of a presser, I suppose. He and Pence had a meeting with a bunch of executives from the health insurance industry who told us these predatory banksters who, through Mike Pence, said that, don't worry, uh, your insurance will pay for coronavirus testing and there won't be any surprise billing and everything's going to be good. I will believe it when I see it. Right. I'll believe it when I see it in legislation, actually. And but, you know, the op- the market opened up seven, eight hundred points. Then it went negative. And then after Trump's comments, it went back positive. People don't know what to think. Are we on the tip of another great recession with or without the coronavirus, with or without, you know, all this stuff that's going on? But back to the coronavirus. As I said, social distancing is the hot new phrase. The CDC and health associations around the world are encouraging people to avoid crowds and big social events. One of our kids and her husband had a trip, and this was planned like a year ago, to go to Europe this summer in June or July. And they were both, she's a nurse at a big hospital here in town, and he's an engineer with an international company, and both of them were advised that if they leave the United States, if they travel to Europe, when they get back, they're going to have to self-quarantine for 14 days. New company policies. I mean, this is, like I said, social distancing is the hot new phrase. Louise and I have pretty much stopped going to restaurants until we get enough test kits here in Oregon to know that it's safe. And this uh, from this morning's Oregonian, our local newspaper, right? They're, you know, I mean, it's owned by a New York company, but... <laughs> What can you say? The Oregon Health Authority will run out of coronavirus test kits by Wednesday without an infusion of kits from the federal government. The state lab had just 130 tests remaining as of Monday night, according to an agency spokesman, and translates to about 65 people, given that it takes about two tests per person to diagnose the disease. State officials say they're confident that more enzymes will arrive from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Tuesday and Wednesday. If and when that happens, state officials say they'll have the capacity to test about 4,800 people. The state originally got 1,500 tests, so apparently that's enough to test about 750 people. And we have uh, 14 confirmed cases here and 52 people awaiting results. Now, I got the uh, email. I'm on the Oregon Department of Health email 
list yesterday, and they said there's several hundred people who are in self-quarantine because they are symptomatic, but they haven't been able to test because they don't have the test kits. So, you know, bottom line, Louise and I are just saying, you know, we're not going to go out until we get enough test kits in this town that we can get some kind of sense about how many people in Portland are infected. Is it three? Well, we know it's like, you know, it's more than that, but is it hundreds? Is it thousands? Is it just a few dozen? We honest to God don't know the answer to these questions because the Trump administration has been so incompetent at this. They've known since November that this was coming. They've known since January in a big way that this was coming. That's when we started seeing cases popping up in the United States. And what has Trump done? Nothing. And what's he, what did he do today? He met with a bunch of you know, for-profit insurance industry banksters. And they said, oh, yeah, don't worry. Everything will be fine. Right. Tell that, you know, when the claims adjuster or whatever. I mean, it's just, I'm not buying this. So, anyway, I'm talking about restaurants. And yesterday I was pointing out this uh, little laser gun that will measure your temperature. And my head is 94.1 degrees right now. <laughs> so, and I mean, it doesn't measure your internal body temperature. It measures your skin temperature. But that's not a fever, right? That's a normal temperature on your skin. And a California restaurant is doing this now. I said, you know, yesterday I said, hey, restaurants should start doing this. I would have felt a lot more comfortable when we went to dinner with our daughter and son-in-law a couple nights ago if the maitre d' had measured our temperatures and had assured us that all of the people working in the restaurant had to go through that before they were allowed into the building, as was also the case of all the people sitting around us. But that didn't happen. Well, it's happening in California. Sichuan Impressions has uh, restaurants in Los Angeles, Tustin and Alhambra, California, three restaurants in the state. And they said they are using an infrared thermometer, just like the one I was demonstrating on TV yesterday and telling you about on radio. You can measure a temperature from, well, with this one right here, I can measure a temperature from 20 feet away. The ones that are designed to measure, you know, your actual body temperature, like they would use in a doctor's office kind of thing, or you could use at home. And again, these are 20 and $30 devices. You have to be a foot away, more or less. But in any case, they're using this infrared thermometer, and they have been since January. A Chinese restaurant in the United States has got on this thing in January when Trump was still out there playing golf. And they go on to say if a person has a fever, the restaurant will help contact local medical services. And those who don't comply with the temperature check will not be served. So... You know, like I said, I'd, it'd be nice to go to a local restaurant. You know, there's some, some of our favorite restaurants around here, but ain't going to happen until I know what's going on. And I think most of America is feeling the same way. This is not hysteria. Not when, you know, just 200 miles from here, a dozen people are dead. This is reasonable and rational. I mean, here, this is Rahim Kassam. He's a reporter. Wrote, there were actually two people at CPAC who were infected. They shared a room throughout CPAC. This was just texted to me, he tweets, from a high-profile CPAC attendee. Went to the doc today at the VA, referred to the health department if I want to test for COVID-19. Doc told me health department, so this is somebody who was a CPAC, right, who they think might have met the infected person. But remember the Republicans, they wanted to tell us, they wanted every, the, the whole world to know who the whistleblower was, who blew the whistle that Trump was trying to extort the president of Ukraine? Well, those same Republicans don't want to tell you who the guy was at CPAC who was infected. It's still a secret. We don't know the name of this person. So, again, this guy tweets, went to the doctor today 
at the VA. I was referred to the health department. I want a test for the COVID-19. The doc told me the health department won't give me the test without the full name of the person who was diagnosed positive that you came in contact with. Your symptoms are irrelevant. You've got to give the name. And so this person couldn't get tested even though they'd been at CPAC. So in some of the replies, one of them says, so random person on a plane touches the seat buckle, picks up the virus, can't get tested because they don't know the name of the diagnosed person? Yes, that's correct. Carol tweets, I can't get the test. I'm very sick. I'm 63 years old. My 89-year-old mom lives with me. Trump is killing us and so on. So this is like, this is the Twitter thing. A reporter with the New York Times, Robin Schulman, went to Toronto and came back. And when they were going through the airport in the immigration area, their flight was commingled with a couple hundred passengers from a flight from Shanghai, from China. And they're all using the same touch screens to answer the immigration questions, right? And, you know, are you carrying $10,000 and all that kind of stuff? And the agents who were asking them questions were wearing masks and gloves, but they weren't. And so, you know, then she gets home and she's got, you know, a couple days later, she's got a fever and a cough. And she's thinking, oh, my God. And she's got an aging mother who is taking care of one of her kids. And she could give it to the kid and the kid could give it to mom. And so she calls her doc and he says, go to the hospital and get tested. And she says, she goes to the ER and they say, no, we're not going to test you. So she goes home and she then she has a fever of over 100 degrees the next night. And so she calls the doc again or the ER and they say, yeah, come on in. And so she goes into the ER and they say, no, we can't do it. And then Mike Pence, so then the next night, Mike Pence comes out and says, anybody who wants to get tested can get tested. Any American, be, this is a verbatim quote from Mike Pence, Any, just like today, you know, oh, the health insurance industry is going to work with us. Don't worry, everything's fine. Well, this is what Pence said last week, quote, any American can be tested. We're removing that barrier. And of course, Donald Trump said, you know, anybody who wants to get tested can get tested. So she goes back for a third time. And again, the doc says, no. You know, we're not going to test you. So, you know, she's a reporter for the New York Times. So she calls up the spokesperson for the hospital and says, I'm writing an article about my experience at your hospital for the New York Times. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, come on in. We'll give you a test. So I guess that's how you get the test. Trish Regan on Monday night on Fox News. This is from The Guardian, a, a piece that Martin Pengley wrote. She says, a chorus of hate is being leveled at the president and it is nearing a crescendo as Democrats blame him and only him for a virus that originated halfway around the world. This is yet another attempt to impeach the president. And sadly, it seems they care very little for any of the destruction they're leaving in their wake. Losses in the stock market. All of this, unfortunately, just part of the political casualties for them, the Democrats, of course. This is a time to be united, not to be pointing fingers, she says ironically, not to be encouraging hate. And yet, what do we see? We see the absolute opposite from the left tonight. The hate is boiling over. Many in the liberal media using coronavirus in an attempt to demonize and destroy our president. This is impeachment all over again. And like with the Mueller investigation, like with Ukraine Gate, they don't care who they hurt. So that was Trish Regan. Then comes Tucker Carlson. Now, Tucker Carlson's in primetime. You know, he and Hannity and Ingram, they're their big three shows. They're the ones who are probably having conversations with Lachlan and Rupert Murdoch. And Rupert Murdoch is, what, 89 or something? I think he's a little over 80. 
and that is the uh, if you get coronavirus, it's a really it can be a real problem. Age, and he's in New York City, and there's cases popping up in New York City, and they don't have enough test kits, and so maybe Rupert Murdoch is getting a little nervous. It is a family business after all. And so maybe he uh, had a little conversation with Tucker Carlson, because this is what Tucker Carlson said Monday night. And he's, I, I think, indirectly speaking of Trump and Pence. He says, people you trust, people you probably voted for, just spent weeks minimizing what is clearly a very serious problem. It's just partisan politics, they say. Calm down. In the end, this will be just like the flu. And people die from that every year. The coronavirus will pass. They may not know any better, Carlson says. Maybe they're just not paying attention. Or maybe they believe they're serving some higher cause by shading reality. And there's an election coming up. Best not to say anything that might help the other side. We get it. But they're wrong. It's definitely not just the flu. Assuring people that everything will be fine is not the right thing to do, he said. It's better to tell the truth. That is always the surest sign of strength. Well, isn't that interesting? Meanwhile, the email I got this morning from the White House, the headline, Trump's style of leadership is a plus in this kind of crisis. This is uh, from the uh, info at mail.whitehouse.gov account, and it goes out to the press and, and to uh, presumably anybody who's signed up. I, I'm Former Senator Jim Talent writes for Fox News, Indecision is both seductive and dangerous, as Japan and South Korea are finding out. President Trump, on the other hand, reacted quickly and effectively to the coronavirus. Trump's, this is a quote from the senator, Trump's style of leadership is on balance a plus in this kind of a crisis. He is neither afraid to make decisions nor overly concerned about being criticized for the decisions he makes. That is vital. Right. And then, you know, from one of these, ever since I signed up to be a Trump donor, this was back in 2015 when Trump was in the primary. And I do this, I've done this with probably a dozen candidates back in 2015. A couple of Republicans, a couple of Democrats, just send them five bucks and it puts you on their mailing list forever. Right. But weirdly, you know, I sign up for the left wing send contributions to the progressive candidates or to candidates on the Democratic side. And yeah, I start getting fundraising requests from, you know, obscure Democratic candidates in, in, you know, Wyoming and stuff. But signing up on the president's list, suddenly I'm getting really wacky emails. Global economic panic goes viral on purpose. Big media fear porn went ballistic today. There's a method to their madness, folks. The deep state power elite globalists are once again resorting to tactics of the endless terror war, as has eroded the fabric of planetary civility. So be cool, calm, and collected. Coronavirus is a convenient scapegoat for a long-planned global economic reset with a covert agenda of population control that subverts core sovereign freedoms. Yes, that's what's going on. Meanwhile, Trump is floating a cut to the Social Security tax. Well, what's that going to do? And I, I mean, didn't Obama do this? Well, Trump wants to do it differently. He wants to do it in a way that's going to kneecap Social Security. You know, it's going to be a fascinating day, I guarantee you. Congressman Ro Khanna is on the line. 
Congressman Khanna is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 17th District of California, Silicon Valley, in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Row, R-O, Khanna. And Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the program. Tom, it's always great to be on. It is always such a pleasure having you on. You are so insightful and so thoughtful, and our listeners love these national town halls where they have an opportunity to speak with members of Congress. Before we go to the calls, just real quickly, what's your take on what's going on in Congress right now, on the administration's response to the coronavirus? The Dow is down 1,700 points right now. It's a, it looks like this country right now is facing some serious crises, and Honest to God, I don't know if you saw this. Should have mentioned it to you on the phone before we got on the air. I don't know if you saw this, but Donald Trump retweeted a photo of Donald Trump playing the violin, playing the fiddle. And I think the day that they studied Rome and Nero in college was one of the days that he was paying somebody to go to class for him, you know, which was a thing back in the 60s. Because he, honest to God, it's like Rome burns while Nero fiddles and Trump tweeted a picture of himself playing the fiddle. Anyhow, yeah, what are you your can't thoughts? make these things up. No, you can't. I mean, it's right there. It's on his Twitter feed. It's anyway to you, sir. Well, you know, the reality is this is one of those times of crisis where marketing and branding doesn't work. And that's what Trump is adept at, is how to market things. But at the here, you actually have a crisis. And it's remarkable to me that how inept we have been in dealing with it. I mean, why is it that South Korea has had 100,000 people tested and we still have less than 1,000 people tested? Why aren't we able to get some form of testing out there? Why didn't we not use the World Health Organization's test when most other countries have used it? Why is the CDC not reporting anymore the transparency of how many people are being tested? They stopped reporting that, and I had asked the Secretary of uh, Deputy Secretary at, uh, of Health and Human Services, why aren't we being transparent? So uh, this whole response needed a more coordinated, professional effort, and you just haven't seen that. Two members of Congress right now, Ted Cruz and somebody from the House, both of them Republicans, are in voluntary self-quarantine right now because they shook hands with an infected person at CPAC. Somebody made the comment on one of the shows I was watching a while back that when 20 or 30 percent of Congress has this thing, suddenly they're going to take it seriously. What are you hearing from your colleagues? There's a lot of concern. I mean, there's some people who went to the speaker who said, let's have a recess of Congress because all of us are on planes and all of us are in constituencies, meeting people who have been infected. The speaker, I think, understandably, doesn't want to create even more panic in the country and so has resisted that. But there's no doubt uh, that there is concern among members of Congress. Yeah. So let's pick up some phone calls here. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Representative Kana, really great to get you on a question that I think would be of great service to us all. I caught a sort of a roundtable discussion on C-SPAN. It was put on by the Center for American Progress, and they gathered together some former Obama administration people. They had his Ebola response coordinator, one of his assistant attorney generals for national security, uh, special advisor for health policy, and they did a Q&A of the various aspects of COVID-19 transmission, treatment, what we may face in the future. So my question for you is, as a representative of the co-equal branch of our government, that is the Congress, would it maybe be in the interest of the public that yourself and some of your fellow representatives convene a panel or a committee that could 
speak directly to the American people for as long as this is going to remain an ongoing concern of some seriousness. Eric, is your question a variation on Trump is lying to us and the people around him are afraid to tell the truth, therefore Congress should tell the truth? Is that essentially what you're saying? I'm saying this for my politeness, so I wouldn't dare accuse the president. Okay, I got it. Eric, let's let the congressman answer. Okay, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think we ought to have hearings with getting the experts out there to help the American public really know what is going on, what they can do. You know, this is a place really where you need executive leadership. I mean, we've given the money, but the question is, why don't you have someone there coordinating every expert, every technology leader to say, what do we need to do to get testing dispersed? Uh, What do we need to do to make sure we have any form of testing, if not just for coronavirus, for people getting sick? And what is the plan to keep healthcare workers safe? It seems to me a sense of wishing the problem away and hoping that it's not as bad as been the, the Trump strategy and no sense of containment. I mean, the irony is if I were talking to, to Donald Trump, I would say the biggest thing if you want to get reelected is not to try to pretend that this is going away. And I don't want to see him get reelected. The biggest thing you need to do is solve the crisis and get people who actually have an interest in solving it. Amen. Jessica in Riverside, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, I'm so happy to talk to both of you. I want to ask, why don't the airlines allow people to carry the little hand sanitizers that are one ounce full of the liquid? My daughter has to fly, and I think, Tom, your idea is brilliant. Why are they not taking temperatures already at the airports? Why are they not screening at least that? Right. Jessica, if it's a one-ounce bottle, you can take it on an airplane. You can take anything under three ounces. The problem is the, oh. the bottles you buy in the drugstore are typically five, six, seven ounces. I don't know. We've got one right here. How much is it? It's eight ounces. That would not fit on an airplane. But anyhow, let's let the congressman answer. Thank you. Well, Jessica, I think it's very thoughtful of you to raise these types of points. I mean, it doesn't just have to be that let's have testing for everyone. That's the main thing. But if we can do some small things in the interim, like allowing a hand sanitizer maybe to be exempt from the rules about three ounces, and we'd have to look at what safety concerns, but at least to look into that or to look into, as Tom had suggested, having everyone's temperature checked to see if we can avoid people flying or sick. I mean, I think there are common sense issues that we at least ought to consider. The problem I think people have is there's no plan. There's, they don't get the sense, they get the sense of a lackadaisical approach that, that there's not urgency, and then they get the sense that there's not a clear plan. And good leadership, I mean, it's like anything else. It's an art form where you can't get people to panic, but you can also pretend problems away. And what we need is the appropriate balance and judgment. If someone's going to say this is a serious crisis, here's the plan. We don't need to panic, but we need a clear action item of how to solve it. Bob in Burlington, Vermont. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, folks. Last week, I went on to the Vermont Our Revolution site and basically said if Bernie doesn't do well in the next primaries, it's time for a decision to be made. Tom, I was going to call you and say we need to make a phone call. But it points out that Joe is not going to have an easy go. Bernie will not have an easy transition the longer this goes on. What are your thoughts on a quick strategy? 
You know, my sense is that Sanders will continue as long as it's clear that he has a path and people are still we're far away from 1991 delegates, which is what you need to get a majority. And we've seen the fluidity of this race. I really think that it's going to come down to the one-on-one debate that Biden and Bernie have. He's going to get a chance to shape his vision for completing the New Deal and a progressive future and make a contrast. And I think that that's going to be key. Yeah, and that's going to be Sunday. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to juxtapose that with the outcome in the Tuesday election. Coming up on the science revolution this week, first, Trump is using the same logic on COVID-19 that he used for pesticides and pollution. And I'll explain why that's not a good thing. Nile Marian, Forestry and Biodiversity Framework Coordinator with Friends of the Earth International, is here. Can we stop mass extinctions? Eva Hamer, Legal Coordinator of Direct Action Everywhere, drops by on her article, Why I Went Topless at Costco. Plus, geeky science. This is what happens when public transit is free. But wait, there's more. in to the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Robbie in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi. So South Carolina had closed polls. Massachusetts, huge discrepancies in the exit polls, saying suggesting that Bernie won these exit polls. Texas had 10%, over 10% of the vote was not count. They found four thumb drives, and only the local news media stations are reporting these in there. Is there anything that the Democratic Party that you're a part of, the progressive wing, are they observing this primary being rigged? Well, Robbie, I don't believe it is rigged in the point that election officials in these states are engaged in uh, voter fraud or voter tampering. I think that that's a, something that would require a lot more evidence before launching an allegation like that. I do think that we have to continue to be diligent about making sure that polling places are staying open long enough that people understand how they should be going and voting and that we're making voting easier. But there are a lot of things that Bernie's up against. I don't think state officials personally are engaged in any form of tampering. Joe in Cupertino, you're on the air with your congressman. Congratulations, Congressman Ty. I think a landslide of like 66% of the vote in the county is pretty great. That's probably one of the highest of any of the uh, congresspeople in my county. But we had about less than 30% turnout, rather, in a midterm election. That's pretty normal. But my question is that, you know, they keep saying that the youth didn't show up. And I don't think that that's necessarily fair because 13% of the people who voted were under the age of 29. Now, 65% of the people that voted were over 65. But the difference then means like maybe 20% of the people that voted between ages 29 and 65. So the youth showed up. The youth showed up to vote. It's just that nobody showed up to vote as usual. I and mean, We talk about voter fraud. It's not voter fraud. It's voter participation that's the problem. In a presidential election, in the last one at least, we had, you know, 60, 70 percent turnout. Midterm elections are notoriously low, but I don't think it's fair that Mr. Biden gets to suggest that we can't bring the votes. We brought the votes in California. We brought the votes in a lot of the states, like 3 percent difference. So as the vice chair of the party, I think we have to make sure that we get out our message, which is we are bringing out the voters that come out and vote. Let's let Congressman Khanna respond, Joe. Well, Joe, look, I I think we have to continue to do better at getting young people out. And we did do a good job in Nevada. We did a good job in California. But there are other states where we haven't seen the type of increase we need. But I don't think 
we should be disparaging uh, Bernie Sanders' strategy. We're going to need record turnout in suburban places like we saw in Virginia. We're going to need record turnout among women. We're also going to need record turnout about, among young people and working class families that Bernie's talking about to beat Donald Trump because his whole strategy is banked on getting massive turnout for his side. Joe in Denver, Colorado, you're on the Earth Congressman Connor. Representative Connor, I want to ask you, you're on three important committees, the Armed Service, Budget, Oversight. What's the percentage of contractors that we have in Afghanistan, since we're talking about this pullback, potential pullback of our personnel, of our military personnel, what's the percentage of the contractors? What are we spending on these contractors? And will the contractors stay if we do withdraw our troops? So it's a very thoughtful question. We have a significant number of contractors there. I don't have the exact number off the, off the top of my head, and some have said they don't share publicly. But what I would say is we need to see the plan. I mean, the plan still hasn't been publicly released of what this means for our contractors there, for their safety, and how we uh, get those contractors out. My understanding is that the plan will call for the withdrawal of most of the contractors that are there, at least those that they're in a military capacity. Cindy in Nogales, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, good morning. I have a question about the coronavirus. Does it affect animals? Cindy, I don't know the answer to that. Tom, do you, do you know if there uh, are anecdotal reports out of China of dogs and cats being infected and sometimes dying and sometimes not? And there is one report out of Hong Kong of a person who believes that they got it from their dog, who got it from a neighbor. But this is all anecdotal. I mean, it did start out as an animal virus, presumably from pangolins, these kind of anteater animals. But this is one of those questions that I don't think anybody knows the answer to right now. No, that's, that's what's so impressive about you, Tom. You can punt any question. You have a thoughtful, thoughtful answer. I'll have our, our staff look into that, though. Okay. I love your listeners. They always always get me thinking about, uh, about issues. Well, and I think this indicates, you know, people are concerned about this and this idea that you floated earlier of having congressional hearings. You know, if, if Trump won't tell us the truth about this, you know, let's have Congress do it is a good one. Wayne in Earlville, Iowa, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yeah, Congressman, uh, my question is, is the mail system in jeopardy with the virus? Because with all the letters coming from all over the place, can that be still transferred? In other words, can the virus be transmitted in a piece of mail, on a piece of mail? Is that your question? Yes. Okay. Wait, I think we have to take uh, the appropriate precaution. My sense is that the virus lasting, it, it just viruses usually don't last in the air for hours on end and still be transmittable. But I do think that that's something worth looking into and how we're protecting people who are delivering the mail and what precautions we're taking for them who would probably be the most at risk. Yeah, they are telling you now if you have food delivered to your home, you know, from one of these services that you should wash your hands and throw away the bag after you take, some folks are, you know, I've, I've heard public health officials say that, but I don't know. George in San Francisco, listening on 910 AM, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, thank you. My issue here is uh, NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. It requires government agencies to assess environmental effects of uh, decisions. And of course, the Trump administration wants to diminish the public's access to input. And today is the last day that we have before the Trump administration rules on this and tries to diminish the uh, power. It's the uh, people's environmental law. It's totally urgent. Um, 
And I'm totally passionate about this thing. And I know there's anybody who loves wildlife and the outdoors needs to know about this. So I'm asking, what is Congress doing about this? Sure. I mean, NEPA is very, very important. I think any building, any construction, any project needs to have environmental considerations and and an impact on an environment. That's what uh, distinguishes us for how decisions are made in China or other authoritarian countries. I mean, here we have to consider the impact on society and on the environment. I strongly support that. Almost every Democrat strongly supports that. And we'll do all we can to have that preserved in the federal government and in the states. Gordon in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. We have just a minute to the break, by the way. Okay, um, I've been a Bernie fan ever since the brunch with Bernie days, and uh, I just think he needs a serious rebranding of the Medicare for All. Even progressives like my father-in-law still think it's socialized medicine. He needs to, you know, talk about how it's government-administered health insurance, and the doctors don't change, and nothing changes except for your insurance, and you won't lose your work health insurance. It'll just be a transition. And I was wondering also when that happens, is there a need for the VA and state workmen's comp? And then also it will just be a boon to the economy and just be so transformative it will help. Okay, we just have 20 seconds, Gordon. Let's let Congressman kind of answer. Gordon, I agree with you. I mean, uh, look, Harry Truman proposed this in 45, and they called it socialist medicine back then. But this is basically just saying that the government is providing the insurance. It does it, there's still going to be private doctors, private hospitals, private nurses, and it's going to unleash economic growth because uh, there's just a recent study saying that if you have health care, then you can take a risk and become a small business owner. You can become an entrepreneur. Most companies would actually save money. The payroll tax on the corporation would be much cheaper than the current amount they're paying. And the final point to people like your father-in-law is that it's going to improve health care for seniors. Long-term care, vision, dental will now be covered. Congressman Ro Khanna, Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, taking your calls for the hour in a national town hall meeting right here. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And we'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Khanna in just a moment. His website, Khanna.house.gov. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Congressman Ro Khanna is taking your calls for the hour. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and represents the Silicon Valley area in the U.S. House of Representatives. Bob in Raleigh, North Carolina, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Well, hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. My question is, I've been prompted, was it the Darden Corporation about not really giving sick days for uh, health care workers? Yeah, the Olive Garden restaurants. Um, yeah, so uh, this is how it all affects is that uh, my concern is, Congressman, what are we going to do for those people who don't have the wherewithal to be able to withstand losing their jobs or even, A, the basic protections of food handling, and B, a protracted unemployment? And now just a side note, I work as a sales guy. I just got a note from my uh, email from my second largest customer that all visits are off unless you're an employee, and I'm waiting for my first and third size customers to do this. They're in the tech sector. My concern, I'll be able to weather this. I'm lucky, but I'm thinking of those who do not have the same resources. Congressman, I'd look for your opinion and insight. I appreciate you raising that. I mean, a couple of points. First, we ought to be pushing at this time for a paid sick leave. I mean, Rosa DeLora has had that bill. We ought to pass it. And even if we're doing it at a temporary basis over the next three to six months, we ought to make sure that people who are not being able to come to work have compensation for that and that we don't have folks who are sick feeling the obligation to come to work because they need to pay the bills. The second thing I proposed is that Medicare temporarily, at the very least, should be covering people's visits to ERs or to primary care physicians. If we want to control the outbreak, we want to make sure people are seeing a doctor if they need to. Ritva in Barrie, Vermont. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Representative Khanna. I believe that in order to be fair, the remaining debates need to be both candidates at the same time on the same stage where both get the same questions and are able to respond in real time with each other. I also think that this may be a way to help allay any questions about Biden's supposed senility and dementia. What are your thoughts? 
Well, Bruce, I do think that having a debate about the future of the party and the country for both candidates is very important, and it will change the dynamics of the race. I mean, you have two very different visions. One is a vision saying, let's go back to how things were before Trump, and another is saying, no, we need a systematic change, that the status quo hasn't been working, and that we need a fundamentally new progressive vision for America. Having that contrast, I think, will give a lot of voters a sense of what is at stake in this primary. Kevin in Santa Fe, New Mexico, listening on KTRC, you're on the air with Congressman Khan. Thank you for taking my call, Tom, and Congressman Khanna, thank you for being there. I just noticed my question was about CDC updates and the information, and they've just changed again. But we're getting yesterday's information from 4 o'clock, and we're looking for more information and help getting that. And thank you for all the work you're doing with the progressive Congress, and I'll let you answer. Well, Kevin, thank you. I just raised the issue you raised because constituents had called me about it a few days ago with the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services. And I said, why is the CDC not being more transparent? Why were they putting out how many people they're testing and then they took that down? I don't know yet if they've put that back up, but they should be updating people every couple hours and they need to be disclosing everything that they know. I mean, in terms of how many tests have been done, how the efforts are coming to get kits out there, how the efforts are coming to help healthcare workers. We need far more transparency. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Good morning, gentlemen. Congressman Khanna, there's so much news in the airwaves these days. There's something I feel that is very important that happened last, was it Friday when they transferred Mick Mulvaney? A couple of weeks ago, he made the statement that it didn't matter if a Republican president was in office and they could run up the debt but it did matter if it was a Democrat. And I believe that this is the main reason why he was transferred, because the King or the Republican Party is sitting there naked now. If you look at the Jude Winiski theory of Two Santa Claus theory, there is a brief history, and it's called the Two Santa Claus theory and the Republican Party. So yeah, I've written a bunch of articles that, about it. So, Randy, let's let the Congressman answer your question. Well, Randy, look, I think uh, Mick Mulvaney had a moment of honesty where he was saying that what the Republicans do is they cut taxes for the rich, they run up the debt to hamstring the ability of the federal government to take on progressive projects, and their hope is when a Democrat comes in, they will just be cleaning up the mess that the Republicans made. And this is why we need to not fall into that trap and make sure that we're talking about the dynamic impact on economic growth that spending on infrastructure, education, and health care has, and that we are willing to push for these progressive ideals when we get into office and not be hamstrung by an austerity framework of just having to tackle deficits. Brenda in Copperas Cove, Texas. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thanks for taking my call, gentlemen. My question is on ranked choice voting states. Since Amy and Pete have dropped out, if Bernie or Joe were the second person that they would choose, do those delegates go to those people? Well, Brenda, I think what happens at the end of the voting is that they total up who gets the most votes. And I believe if there are votes still for Pete Buttigieg or Elizabeth Warren or others who have dropped out sufficient that they would get delegates, then they would get a few delegates. And so my sense is that you could still have some of those candidates accumulating a few delegates. That's my understanding. Mark, in, in Valley, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. 
I wanted to hit a little bit different subject. I haven't heard anything about this uh, Judge Walton saying that Barr lied in the Mueller report covering up and that he's basically just covering up for Trump, and I'm wondering if uh, anything's going to happen with that in Congress. This is the redactions in the Mueller report that uh, Bill Barr put in there. We need to continue to do our work and the Oversight Committee and on the Intelligence Committee to continue to investigate this. I mean, just because the president wasn't convicted doesn't mean that the investigation shouldn't go on for the historical record. And I do believe that Adam Schiff, having talked to him, is pursuing these kind of leads to develop that record for history. Steve in Topanga, California, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, you guys. Um, I wanted to ask the congressman about whistleblowing laws. We have them on the books, but they're not really... People get outed, and I think you were talking earlier about transparency, and I think a lot of people at the CDC are afraid to talk because they know their careers will be ruined if they do a whistleblower. And so, I mean, you look at the Defense Department, you look at the nuclear industry, you look at, what is it, um, prescription drugs, intelligence, all these people have whistleblowers that come out, and they're supposed to be protected, and they get outed. If you read Tom Mueller's book, Crisis of Conscience, Whistleblowing in the Age of Fraud, it points out all these things that Congress could be looking at. And I would hope you would do that, and I'd like to know what you think. Steve, I think that there's absolutely a need to strengthen protections for whistleblowers. We saw this with so many people attacking the whistleblower in the whole investigation with the president's actions in Ukraine. We need to make sure that it's easier for whistleblowers to come forward, that there is no sense that they would face retribution and that they're more protected. And so I think it's important for us in this Congress to reexamine those statutes and strengthen them. Doug in Chandler, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yeah, gentlemen, I'm going to try to make this real quick. Two tidbits. Did you notice Stephen Miller looks like a younger Joseph Goebbels? And Kelly Ayotte has been elected to the board of directors of Caterpillar. Now, my question for the congressman is, if we take over the House, the Senate, and the presidency again, will you guys promise that the first thing you'll do is take care of the voting and election laws? Well, Doug, I think the highest priority has to be voting rights legislation. I believe we need a right-to-vote amendment. Mark Pocan and John Lewis have introduced this before. Of course, as you know, the 15th Amendment says that there's not, you're not allowed to discriminate based on race when it comes to the right to vote, but it doesn't actually affirmatively give people the right to vote. And if there was a right-to-vote amendment, that would actually give us greater standing to challenge voter ID laws or laws that are infringing on the right to vote. Mark in Ventura, California. You're on the Earth, Congressman Connor. Yes, hello. Thanks for taking my call. Congressman, it's about Bernie's campaign messaging. Wouldn't it have made a difference in the outcome of last primary if uh, Bernie's people had run commercials pointing out Biden's inaccuracies about his civil rights records? Mark, the senator has, as you know, taken the approach to really outlay a positive vision. He's reluctant usually to go negative. But now we are contrasting on issues, the differences with the vice president when it comes to trade, when it comes to support for health care for all, when it comes to a $15 minimum wage and a living wage, when it comes to ending endless wars. Jeanette in Chicago, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, and thanks for taking my call. I uh, wanted to say I got off of a cruise ship Saturday that was in the Caribbean. It was a smaller cruise ship, and it was traveling through the Caribbean for seven days. And it was also a French 
cruise ship. So there were less than 200 passengers on. But before we got on, our temperatures were taken. And throughout the cruise, there was messaging all over talking about coughing and sneezing, how to do it. And there was hand sanitizer all over the ship. I'm wondering, do I need to check in with the CDC or my doctor to see if I'm a carrier at this point? I think it would be prudent for you to do that. You know, I appreciate the precautions you've taken and your diligence, but, and of course, I'm not in a position to give medical advice, but just uh, from a perspective of common sense, I think checking in with your doctor and being extra cautious would make sense. Especially if you develop a fever and a cough. On the other hand, uh, Trump is not making these test kits available, is he? No, I mean, that's, and, and, you know, when you look at other countries, I mean, from all the rhetoric of America's the greatest, we've got the greatest people, all of that, I mean, just why, how is South Korea getting 100,000 of these test kits and we're still under 1,000? I mean, that's, I don't understand how we're not asking those, that question and getting a straight answer. And I don't understand, the other thing I don't understand is why we didn't use the WHO test. You know, fine, we think we can do better, let's keep building it, but let's have something in the absence of nothing. My conspiracy theory on that, in answer to that is, if you didn't mean it rhetorically, is that it's Reaganism, it's Milton Friedmanism, that this administration believes that the free market can do everything better than government. And so they're waiting for one of these for-profit companies, pharmaceutical companies, to develop a test kit or some other company to develop a test kit that they can make a huge profit off of. And they will direct, you know, everything through that company. And and that company may well be a big donor to Trump. In fact, actually, one of the big companies that's making these things right now, Trump was heavily invested in two years ago. We, we don't know if he still is. Yeah. Well, the irony is even Reaganism had quasi-industrial policy where they helped these corporations. And at this point, it's surprising to me that they wouldn't even have, you know, you'd actually have a situation where even if there was a private company that people so want the testing that they would support government partnership with them. But they're just, I think it's part of it's just incompetence because they don't know and believe in the use of government. I agree. I agree. And, And also throughout November and December and even January, I think that Donald Trump himself didn't think that this was ever going to come to America. <laughs> and so he was yeah. preventing anything. Yeah, I have no specific evidence for this because everybody at the CDC and all these other agencies is just terrified to talk about it. But Well, you know, it's a costly lesson for the country and the world. But one of the things this shows is that the world is far more interconnected and interdependent than an America first platform suggests. I mean, the Trump would often say only we have only 4% of our economy tied up with China. And now we see, no, it's far more the impacts of global supply chains. And no matter how much you try to restrict immigration, this president has tried, you can't contain the diseases that are global. Yeah, amen. We'll be right back with more of your questions for Congressman Khanna. Stick around. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Denise in Oakland, California. Denise, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Good morning, Congressman. Good morning, Tom. I have a question, and I have a quick statement. My question is, is having to do with the CDC. Is there any way we could make the CDC not so political and just allow the medical folks to make the decision and just go ahead and do what they need to do as far as they're in and not make it such a political issue? And my statement is is that if we could possibly have Congress write up a policy or whatever, a law, so that they can remove the issue from the political aspect of it so that the medical folks can just make the decision and the political aspect of it is just, just to give the financing and give them the funding that they need necessary to keep the general public safe. Well, I absolutely think that we need to depoliticize uh, the conversations with the experts at the NIH and CDC. So my problem is not with the leadership at NIH or CDC or Dr. Fauci or others. My problem is, though, that the experts still need 
political leadership in terms of mobilizing resources, in terms of mobilizing the goals, and that you can't have a nation that doesn't have a clear vision and plan and just rely on experts to come up with that. They have the scientific knowledge, but they need the resources and the vision that the job is for the president to lay out. Jay in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thank you. Uh, Congressman Rakan, you're doing a great job. And uh, I've been on watching all the stations, and I saw you on a lot of the corporate media stations. Don't you think that the billionaires are controlling both the Democrats and the Republican Party to get what they want to preserve capitalism? Isn't this really an exercise in capitalism? Jay, I appreciate uh, the kind comments. Uh, Are there forces that have a vested interest in the status quo, pharmaceutical industry, insurance industry, defense contractors, places in Wall Street? Absolutely. But what I have seen, especially in the last three or four years, is an incredible energy to have more progressives elected in the House, to have more progressives behind Bernie Sanders. And whether he wins or not, I'm still hopeful he'll be the nominee. We have to look at points in this race. He's been the front runner. And so it's shows to me that a people-powered grassroots movement along very progressive policies can succeed. Terry in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'd like to ask the congressman's view. I read a story recently that Eric Prince is training former spies to uh, enter the Democratic organizations and, you know, brother of Betsy DeVos. Terry, I read that piece. It was very concerning, very scary. In fact, some of my colleagues and I were on a chat sharing that, and it's concerning. I mean, we need to be vigilant towards these kind of games that uh, people are going to try to play to block what they ultimately see as progressive policy. Greg in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, Congressman. Hi, Tom. I have a question, and it just puzzles me. Why is nobody going after Jim Jordan with the OSU scandal? And, I mean, it seems like he's skating. We need to go after him like he went after some of the witnesses. Greg, I'm not familiar with the details of that. I would just say that what we need to do is focus right now on Trump in terms of making sure that we win our election against him. I think that's the most important thing. And then also focus on offering a real vision for how we're going to solve problems. But I do think every congressional candidate around the country who is running against different members ought to highlight the weaknesses. And certainly if there's an opponent to him, that everything should be fair game. Terry in Ottawa, Illinois. We have a minute and a half. Terry, quick question for Congressman Kana. Yes, sir. I, I want to shout out like Ted Kennedy did over this health care, only he did it over minimum wage. This is ignorant having people going out and having fundraisers for their health care. But at any rate, the saga goes on, right? My question is, why can't we help Puerto Ricans out, for example, and have them go back to making some of our drugs like they used to? Our pharmaceuticals used to be, some of them used to be made in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that was a change in tax law, Congressman, wasn't it? Terry, I think it's a great point that we ought to be having and supporting more generic drugs, more drugs that are non-patented. My sense is that part of what's prevented that is the increase of IP laws and patent protections and forced licensing agreements, which is allowing a lot of these drug manufacturers to manipulate the process. Yeah, there was also, just FYI, up until I think it was the Bush administration, 
Puerto Rico had a, an exemption for income tax for pharmaceutical manufacturers, and this Congress gave it to them. And so most of our drugs are actually being made in Puerto Rico. But then, I believe it was during the Bush administration, they did away with that exemption, and that's when they all started moving to China. Fact check me on that. I think I'm, I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, no, that's I think I'm right. so we'll yeah. look it up. Congressman, thanks again so much for dropping by today. Really appreciate Tom, it. Tom, always a pleasure. Really yeah, great question. Great Thank talking you. with you. Thank you so much for being with us and for doing such a great job in Congress. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Robin Feldman's book, Drugs, Money, and Secret Handshakes, The Unstoppable Growth of Prescription Drug Prices from Oxford University Press. This is from the introduction. Everyone has a limit. Every budget has an endpoint. Although sellers would love to raise prices continually, it doesn't take fancy economics to know that at some point the money runs out. Why isn't that basic principle working as expected in the pharmaceutical industry? Instead, drug prices are rising continually and reaching astronomical levels with no end in sight. In May 2018, analysts reported that a company is contemplating a $1.5 million price tag for new hemophilia cure. The current hemophilia therapies already cost an astounding $580,000 to $800,000 a year. Along the same lines, Spark Therapeutics' cure for a rare form of blindness will cost $850,000, rivaling Novartis's planned $475,000 price tag for its CAR-T drug, Chimera. Even outside the eye-popping headlines, prescription drug prices across the board have risen to an alarming and puzzling level. A government inspector general's report found that the high cost of brand medications for common conditions like diabetes, high cholesterol, and asthma were the true problem for patients on Medicare. In fact, pharmaceutical companies have raised the prices most sharply for commonly used medications such as these. Similarly, an analyst report concluded that in 2016, the average price for a set of specialty drugs known as orphan drugs was $140,000 a year, and the average price of ordinary drugs was almost $28,000 a year. The list price of drugs tells only part of the story, given the many rebate and discount processes that exist within the industry. Nevertheless, real spending for drugs is rising as well. According to the Health and Human Services Inspector General's report, even after accounting for rebates, Medicare spending for branded drugs still rose 62 percent between 2011 and 2015. Worse yet, the department responsible for Medicare and Medicaid projects that the increase in national prescription drug spending will more than double in 2018 from the prior year's significant rise. In 2017, this increase in, in spending outpaced increased health care spending as a whole and the 2017-2018 Consumer Price Index. All of this despite the fact that roughly 80% of the prescriptions in this country are filled using generic drugs. No one would ever suggest that spending within the health care system follows an ordinary, rational model. The patient as consumer does not absorb the full cost of health care given the effects of private insurance and government programs. Nor does the consumer possess full information about the products purchased or the cost of choices, and even physicians experience information gaps. Most important, the value consumers place on their own lives creates distortions that differ from buying choices in ordinary markets. Nevertheless, dollars are finite and some limits must exist. One can see the mounting pressure in government budgets which are struggling to cover the cost of new expensive medicines. If the Defense Department had treated all veterans all VA patients infected with hepatitis C in 2015 using the breakthrough cure Sovaldi, the $12 billion cost would have accounted for 20% of the department's annual medical budget just for treating a single disease. 
With budgets in the home, patients reporting rationing or foregoing medications for lack of funding. This is precisely the type of boundary point that should create pressure to reduce prices, and yet the rises persist. This book analyzes and explains the phenomenon which has puzzled modern commentators and policymakers alike. Why do drug prices stubbornly continue to rise despite the promise of competition from generic drugs? Quite simply, the phenomenon occurs because internal incentives push every market participant toward behaviors that increase prices, knocking out the normal checks that should operate as breakpoints on the market. At the center of the system lies the highly secret and highly concentrated industry known as pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs. These middle players negotiate prices between branded drug companies and those who pay the bills. They arrange for rebates from various drug companies. They also establish the formularies, which are the schedules that set the terms on which patients can access particular drugs and the reimbursement rate patients will get. The PBM middle players are supposed to act to ensure good bargains for patients and health insurers, but the reality is far from that ideal. Moreover, the system is deeply hidden. The contracts between the drug companies and the PBMs are a closely guarded secret, with the details known only to the drug companies and the PBMs themselves. Government entities and the private insurers who pay the bills are not permitted to see the full terms of the contracts. Those who pay are given periodic rebates without full information regarding the actual net pricing for any particular drugs. Markets thrive on information, and from the standpoint of competition, such an industry design is problematic at best. Despite the extreme secrecy, details have begun to seep out through case documents, including recent contract disputes among parties, government reports, reports to shareholders, state Medicaid actions, and industry insider reports. Placing together information from these original sources, this book presents, for the first time, a full picture of the perverse profit-taking incentive structures within the industry. The book demonstrates the way in which encouraging consumers to use drugs with higher prices operates in the interests of so many players, including doctors, clinics, hospitals, PBMs, brand drug companies, health plans, patient assistance programs, and patient advocacy programs. And then it continues from there. Drugs, Money, and Secret Handshakes by Robin Feldman. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.